I've asked before, we've considered before a crazy question, really a, a pretty crazy question. And that question is this, what is more important, the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, or the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus from the grave? And that, that really is a very deep question. Really, it's a, a pretty crazy question. What is more important, the death of Jesus Christ or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we move through our verses, as we get to this point in Scripture, as we're headed into Easter, what a, what a wonderful thing to think about. What is more important? What is more needed, more necessary, the death of Jesus or the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ? You see, it was Jesus' death where our sins were paid for. But it is in his resurrection where the payment is stamped, received, paid in full. It was in his dying where the wage of sin, death, is paid. But it is in his resurrection where the wage of sin, death, is forever defeated. It is in his death where the lamb is the propitiation for our sin, the, the perfect sacrifice for our sin. But it is in his resurrection where the risen lamb stands as the savior for sin. It is in his dying that the great extent of his love, the, the tremendous extent of his love is shown as he willingly humbles himself, the Bible says, to the point of death, even death on the cross. Oh, but friend, look, it is in his resurrection where the full extent of his power is shown as the angel proclaims, he is not here for he is risen. What is more important, Jesus' death or Jesus' resurrection. In one place, Paul says, we preach Christ and him crucified. Surely it must be his death. Oh, but in another place, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. But now Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead, the first fruit from those who are asleep. Surely it must be the resurrection. So what is more important? What is more important, Jesus' death or his resurrection? Friends, the truth is, the good news of the gospel is, we have both. Jesus is the perfect lamb of God that was slain, but he's also the risen lamb who is our redeemer. Jesus is the humble servant who goes and he suffers, but he's also the reigning king who reigns forevermore. He is the payment for sin that I could never make, that you could never make, but he's also the savior for sin, our hope for all eternity. We have both in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, today in the weirdest of turns, Jesus' death, even his death, testifies to his glory. In the strangest of turns, in the most ironic of turns, Jesus' death, even his death, testifies of his gospel. Our message today is entitled, Even His Death. Even His Death. We're in Luke chapter 23. We're gonna look at three verses, verses 47 through 49. Even his death Luke chapter 23, verses 47 
through 49. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 47, God's word says this. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today and I'm thankful for you. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful for a hope that I have that we hold today. Thankful for a hope that's not grounded in the, the things of the world or in the economy or in, or in things that would pass away, but that stands in the finished work of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful for the forgiveness of sin today. I'm thankful for restoration with a holy God today. I'm thankful for peace that the world can't give that surpasses all understanding today. I'm thankful for a risen Savior. I'm thankful for a coming King and that one day we'll be forever in your presence. Lord, we worship, we praise the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray as we pass through these three verses today, I pray that you would open our ears and you would open our minds and you would open our hearts and you would truly speak to us today, lead us today, grip us today in your truth. Lord, I pray that we here as believers today that we would be shaped, we would be encouraged, we might be refocused today, that we would we'd have a, a deeper love for Jesus leaving this time today. Lord, I pray for those in this room that do not know you. I pray that today, that their ears would be open, that their hearts would be receptive. And today, in the preaching of this gospel, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that in all of this, in every bit of it, what's gone on, what'll go on, what'll finish out this Lord's day, the teaching, every bit of it, that Jesus Christ would be glorified. Lord, we submit this to you, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we start today, we need, to, we need to remember the context. Remember the context where we sit today. Understand, Jesus has been crucified. All that that entails, all that that involves, Jesus has been crucified. Also understand, Jesus has died. In our verses, we have looked at the happenings, the, the details of those events. Remember last week, our verses end, and Jesus trusts his spirit. He, he commends his spirit into the hands of the Father, and the Bible says, and he breathed his last. Let that sink in this morning. Jesus is dead. As we begin today, Jesus is dead. The creator, the sustainer of all things, the very word of God himself, the way, the truth, and the life is dead. Jesus the Messiah is dead. Let that sink in this morning. Jesus is dead. The account tells us he draws one last breath in, he exhales, and then he doesn't draw another breath. Jesus is dead. And that is where we begin 
today. That's where our verses resume today. Let's start by looking in verse 47. Here we go. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Verse 47 starts off with the word now. Now, understand once again, it is a progression. It is a timeline. Jesus has been betrayed. It tells us those events. Jesus has been crucified. It tells us those details. Jesus has now breathed his last, and it says now. It is a timeline. It is a progression. Again, see, these are the literal, historical, actual details of Jesus' death. Understand that. Once again, these are the actual details, the the historical details of Jesus' death. Now, you might begin to say this week, why do you keep saying that? Why do you keep making that point? I guess it's three weeks in a row that I've made in a row now that I've made that point. Why do you keep saying that? Well, understand, it is because if this account is symbolic, it means nothing. It is because if this account is less than literal, it is an empty account. It is a pointless account. Some will say very shortly that it was not a real resurrection. Some would say that it was not a literal resurrection. Paul will have to address this in the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And some say, well, it must have been a symbolic resurrection. Today, smart people still argue this point. It is not a a true, physical, actual resurrection. Well, be sure, the truth is, if this is not literal, then we're literally not saved. Understand today, if, if if this is not actual, if this is just a symbolic resurrection, The Bible says we are lost in our sins. Today there are some versions of Pentecostalism that teach it's a spiritual resurrection. That's what they teach. It wasn't a physical resurrection. It was a spiritual resurrection. Understand, if that is the truth, it carries great consequence. We are lost in our sins. Today there are liberal theologians and there are some liberal denominations that say, well, it was never meant to be taken literally. It would be dumb to take it literally. You can't take this literally. And so that is great if we're not looking for a literal salvation. Understand, it does matter. These events are actual. They are literal. The Bible goes on and it says, now when the centurion." When the centurion, now be sure of this, this was the Roman executioner. This was a pagan man. This was honestly a killer for hire. That's, that was his business. That was his job description. This is a vile man. This is a hardened man. He has the hardest of all hearts. This is a man that this day that we just passed through is a sport for him. It's an enjoyable thing to him. He scoffs and he laughs as he goes through this day. These horrific events are just another day at his work. These gruesome events, the blood that runs out, it's just another day at his job. More than that, 
this idea of a Messiah from God, and more than that, this idea that this one on the cross is the Messiah from God is laughable to him. As a pagan, he thought this was a ridiculous superstition. He thought these people and their religious activities, they were nonsense. And so he thinks, you know what, this is all ridiculous. It is superstition. And for sure that this one on the cross, that he would be a Messiah, one from God, that is a laughable superstition. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, what is singular? And so it is talking about the entire, the entire event. It is talking about the entirety of what went on. Seeing what had happened. It is, it is the entirety of the event. Now, that would have included the darkness. The total removal of light. We saw that last week. The, the sun is extinguished. The total removal of light. It would have also been the, the words that Jesus spoke there from the cross. He would have been in earshot of those words. It would have been the words that he spoke to the criminal there from the cross. It would have been the prayer that he prayed to the Father. Asking and, and, and seeking the forgiveness of those who were actually killing him. It would have been in the way that he died even trusting the Father in some sort of weird confidence that he couldn't fathom. As he sees all of that, the entirety of the event, the Bible says he began praising God. Now, the verb tense here is continual, and so it means that, that he started praising God, but he also kept on praising God. Seeing the entirety of all of those events, he began praising God, saying, saying is also continual, saying certainly, meaning surely, clearly, certainly this man was innocent. And so see the picture here, seeing the events of the day, seeing the goings on of the day, this centurion, this pagan man says certainly, certainly this man was innocent. Seeing all of that, I think he probably declares what everybody else was thinking. Certainly this man was innocent. The word innocent in the original language translates righteous, not guilty. Listen to this. Correct. Correct. Righteous, not guilty. Now understand today, in his statement this is a huge thing. This is a very profound thing. Understand, he is admitting to killing an innocent man. That's what he's saying. I just killed this man. We just killed this man. And certainly, he was an innocent man. He is admitting he killed an innocent man. More than that, he concurs with the declaration of Herod and Pilate. Remember when they said, we find no fault in him. He is an innocent man. He is now concurring with the conclusion of Herod and Pilate. More than that, he confirms the message of Jesus. Remember when Jesus is on the cross, they say, if you're the Savior, then save yourself. If you're the Messiah, then how is this happening at the hands of men? If you're the King, then what are you doing on the cross? And he says, certainly he was innocent. Certainly he was correct. He confirms the claims of Jesus Christ. Verse 48, 
and all the crowds who came together for this spectacle. When they observed what had happened, now it's their turn, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. The Bible says when the crowd observed. Now this is to see, but it's also more than to see. It means to perceive. And so when they see what has happened, but it's more than that, when they perceive what has happened, the same event, the same goings on, it says they began to return. Now what that means is, they began to go back where they came from. And so they had come for this spectacle. Those that were passing by were hurling abuse, the Bible says. They had come to watch this event. And so they began to go back to whence they came from, to where it is they came from. And the Bible says, but as they go back, as they return, they are beating their breasts. Actually hitting themselves. Actually beating their chests. Now see this, the beating of the breast, the beating of the chest was a cultural sign of sadness, deep, deep sadness. Oh, the sadness is so deep and they would, they would strike their own chest. But more than that, it was a sign of regret, extreme regret. They were unable to undo what had just happened. Oh, the regret of it all. Jesus is dead and now they've watched it and they regret it. He breathed his last and they saw that happen and they're unable to take it back. They're unable to change anything and they're consumed in regret. Even more than all of that, it was an, a sign of an assumption of guilt, a participation in the guilt. And that's why they would beat themselves. It, it, was, it, was, it was us, it was regret. We did this, I did this. And they're, they're consumed in grief and remorse of their part in it. And so they began to strike their own chest. Have you ever been sick with regret? Truly sick with regret? Oh, I wish I could change that. Oh, I wish I could go back. Oh, I wish I could go back and undo some things, but you can't do anything about it and you're sick and you're broken and you're remorseful in the regret. Think about them. They had looked for a Messiah. The teachings had pointed to the Messiah. They had waited for a Messiah. For generations they had hoped, oh, for the Savior sent from God, the anointed Christ, the Messiah of God. And they had killed the Messiah. Crucify him, crucify him. And now in guilt and sadness and regret, they beat their chest and make their way home. Verse 48 again. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle when they observed what had happened began to return beating their breasts. Verse 49 now. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. Verse 49 is a very somber scene. 
All of this unfolds. Can you imagine all of the things that have unfolded? And they're at a distance. They're standing off somewhere, it says, all together. They're standing at a distance are Jesus' acquaintances. It means those who knew Jesus. These were the friends of Jesus, the acquaintances of Jesus. And it says the women who came with him from Galilee. It's a very somber scene. They see him nailed to the cross. From their perspective, they can hear the hammer. They see the agonies he's lifted up and there they watch and, and the friends, the acquaintances of Jesus, they stand and they watch as he, as he suffers on the cross and they hear him talk and they, they try to discern what he's saying and they see him suffering on the cross. They see as it takes its toll. They see the sun as it goes dark. They see the events of the day. Jesus has given up his breath, he's died. Maybe the saddest thing is that it was from a distance. It was not close. It was not near. It was not close by. Maybe the, the saddest thing is that it was done from a distance. They, they watch from a distance and they're all together. But as Jesus dies, he's alone on the cross and they watch him. They see the events, but they do it from a distance. So seeing these things. It's interesting here, the women that Luke is diligent to record. I think it's a very interesting thing. Luke is, Luke is very deliberate, diligent in recording these women. Now, I want you to see this. It wasn't, these weren't the daughters of Jerusalem that weeped as he, as he came, made his way to the cross. They were from Jerusalem. It wasn't these women, that those that were weeping. These were the women that had accompanied him all the way from Galilee. These were the women that are described in Luke chapter eight, verse three. They had traveled with Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. Mary Magdalene, the one that he had cast out the seven demons. It says Joanna, the name of another one. Susanna, the name of another one. It says, and many others, many others. Be sure today, Women were not a fringe part of the ministry of Jesus. Sometimes we start to think that. I want you to understand that's, that's not the truth at all. These women with Jesus, if you go back and Luke, read Luke chapter 8, they financially supported Jesus. They gave to the cause of Jesus. These women were on the mission with Jesus. And Luke records here, and I think it's a powerful thing, they started out with Jesus, and as he breathes his last, they finished with Jesus. They're devoted to the Master. An older pastor friend of mine, one afternoon I was talking to him and talking about my daughter, Sarah Jo, he said, Toby, she could lead more people to Christ than you ever will. And I want to tell you, my heart jumped. My, my prayer, my hope, oh, is that my daughter would lead more people to Christ than I ever would, that she would have opportunity, that she would be obedient to those opportunities, that many folks would find Jesus through her. Listen to me, girls, today. Listen to me, ladies, today. You're not second rate to the cause of Jesus Christ to any other person. 
These ladies started with Jesus and they finished with Jesus, committed to the cause of Jesus. So what is this saying? What is this showing? What is the actual, literal, historical account of the death of Jesus revealing? Very simply, what is this saying? We know Easter's coming. Two weeks. We know Easter's coming in these verses. We know the resurrection is coming. The talk of the resurrection, the the celebration, the exaltation of the resurrection. We know that Easter's coming. As I read these verses, I know if I read a little deeper, the resurrection is coming. But isn't his death speaking? Isn't even his death yet speaking? I want to go back to the centurion. I want to go back to the centurion. I want to go back to this vile, hardened man, this man who killed for sport, this pagan who does not know God. Let's go back and see him. Remember, he says, he declares, certainly this man was innocent. Surely, clearly, certainly this man was innocent. Now, Many people say you can't read too much into that. That's what he says. Surely, certainly he was innocent. Many people say you can't read too much into that. He sees the the sky go dark. That's a very impactful thing. He sees these events. And so very simply, he is saying, surely this man is innocent. And they would say, you can't go much farther than that. You can't read much more into it than that. Yet I think we can. Stay with me. The Bible says, now when the centurion saw what had happened, see this, he began, he started, he began, the Bible says, praising God. Here's this pagan killer, this hard-hearted man, a denier of our Savior. Here is this man, and when he sees what happened, the Bible says he began praising God. Praising God translates glorifying God. Esteem glory to, to honor, to magnify. It literally translates to give weight to. And so see this, when this centurion, when he sees what happens, the Bible says he begins heaping glory on God. He begins praising God. He begins adding weight to God. The Bible says seeing what happens, he is found magnifying God. Friends, how does he know God? Friends, how in the world would he ever know God? See that today. Listen, he knows God. 
Because he has seen the Son, he knows God. Because even the death of Jesus declares his glory. Even the death of Jesus proclaims his gospel. Even the death of Jesus at his very own hands declares, this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life, this is the Messiah. And he, with all that he has, with blood on his own hands, seeing the Son, seeing his death, he glorifies God and he got saved. Even the death of Jesus speaks. Listen, that's only possible with our Savior. No other death does that. Even his death speaks. That's only possible with our gospel. No other good news rivals that. And while, yes, we look to the resurrection, even his death on the cross proclaims today, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. How did, he know, how did he know God? He saw Jesus. You can't read any more than that. Yes, I can. He got saved. He added weight to the glory of God. He saw Jesus. Let me tell you something else. We're a lot like that centurion, aren't we? You see, my sin put him there. And this vile man killed him. My vile sin, this vile man put him there. So we're a lot like that centurion. But the good news is when we see the son for who he is like he did, when we find the son and we receive him by faith, we also glorify God. Lord, let us be like the centurion. Heaping glory on the living God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come and we, we pass through three simple verses. But we see the truth that, Lord Jesus, you are our hope. You are the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. You are the propitiation for sin. You are the Savior sent from God. You're the Messiah, the Christ, the Christos. You're our eternal hope. Lord, we we see that today. We're we're looking forward to the resurrection. We don't have to wait to see it. We see it in your death. That a kind and gracious, loving God, in every way equal with God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped onto, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Submitting to death, even death on a cross. Lord, we see the gospel on the cross. We see the gospel. We see the good news in your death. We see your glory in your death. Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, I pray for two things here today. I pray for believers today to well up, to spring up, and to know the price was paid in Jesus. Our Savior is Jesus. And just like this cross preaches, just like this centurion preaches, may we also preach and proclaim our Savior, Jesus. Lord, my other prayer is this, that anyone here today, any person that does not know you, does not know my Savior, Jesus, Lord, I pray that today would be that day. Move, work, but let that day be this day. Lord, we pray that you're glorified in this. 
Lord, we're thankful that you're patient and kind, desiring that none should perish. We're thankful for your grace and your mercy and your love shown to us as sinners. Wretched people, us like this centurion, we're thankful for that. Lord, I pray that you're glorified. I pray that you move in this time of invitation. We trust it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.